Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast. This audio is brought to you by Canon Press. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Doug Wilson. Good to have you here. This is episode 193. 193. So let's talk a little bit about where we are politically. As I uh, record this, I, I just saw yesterday, I think it was yesterday, real recently, that the Biden administration uh, has filed suit in order to force religious doctors and religious hospitals to perform gender reassignment surgery, and I'm putting scare quotes around that. So, if you've got a Christian hospital, or if you've got a doctor with scruples, conscience issues, violation of his conscience, the transsexual agenda is now paramount, and they, uh, basically, the, the move had been shot down by a court, and, and then the Biden administration has stepped in to appeal the decision. The Biden administration wants to force Christian doctors to participate in transsexual surgeries and force uh, faith-based hospitals, uh, religious hospitals, to accommodate it as well. So, there's several things. One is we have to talk about it, so we have to use uh, expressions like gender reassignment. But we should know, whenever you can, put, put scare quotes around things like that. Because there's no such thing as gender reassignment. You can make a man a eunuch in much the same way that you can create a steer, but you can't make a you can't turn a bull into a cow. And and basically, if you attempted to to turn a bull into a cow, that's not gender reassignment. Uh, that's mutilation, or it's um, creating something we've known we've had all along, right? So, so be careful with the language. Don't, we shouldn't accept things like um, gender reassignment. There's no such thing as gender reassignment. But there, there are such things as mutilating surgeries. And we should note that we now have an administration in control of the White House, the Senate, and the House of uh, Representatives that wants to require Christians to do this. It's not just saying, Christians, you have to live in a country where other people are doing this. It's Christians, you must participate. You must comply. You must go along with. Now, that's where we are. I'll just say this next, make this next point in a way that, um, I don't want to yell or wave my arms about it, but this is the kind of thing that evangelicals for Biden absolutely should have anticipated and either did not anticipate or pretended not to anticipate. If they didn't anticipate, then they they shouldn't be involved in public policy discussions if they didn't anticipate things like this. And if if they just pretended to not have anticipated it, then they are basically secretly in love with the agenda. They're not evangelicals for Biden at all. They're pretend evangelicals for Biden. There's some people 
who are, there, there are some evangelicals who are simple enough and ignorant enough and poorly taught enough to actually think something, you know, to, to buy it. If someone says, you know, if Biden's elected, I'll bet abortions go, the number of abortions go down or something. No, that's not the way it's going to, that's not the way it's going to be. That's not the way it's going to go. We are in a pitched battle at the federal level, and we need to act like we're in a pitched battle. We, and we need to clearly identify who is an ally and who is simply a co-belligerent, who, who is against what we're against for completely different reasons, and who is against what we are against for, this, for basically the same reasons. Stalin and uh, we, the allies, the UK and America, and Stalin were all fighting against Nazi Germany, but Stalin was fighting against Nazi Germany because he had been in an alliance with Hitler until Hitler double-crossed him and attacked him. So Stalin is fighting Hitler for completely different reasons than the Allies were fighting with Hitler. The Allies, uh, UK, uh, the UK and the United States were in a um, on the same side of the war for si very similar reasons. And the Soviet Union was on the same side at the end of the war for completely different reasons. So we need to understand what we're up against. We need to understand where we are, what's going on, and fight a defensive, defensive war at the federal level. I would say, and this is my last point, I would say that the thing that we need to do in, in our cultural engagement is labor at the local level in towns and counties, municipalities, that sort of thing. We need to labor at the local level wanting to create a zone or a buffer that will enable us to deal with encroachments when they inevitably come. So we're continuing on with podcast episode 193, and here we are at our hamartiology section again. So in our study of hamartiology, we come to the word diastrepho, diastrepho, D-I-A-S-T-R-E-P-H-O, diastrepho, which is usually translated as perverse. The word obviously refers to sin, but of course it can be misapplied. So, for example, in Luke 23, 2, Jesus is accused of perverting the nation, which, of course, he wasn't doing, but it would have been a sin if he had been doing it, right? But he wasn't. So, but the it's a sin, and so they accuse him. Just like um, being a drunkard or a glutton is a sin, but it was a false accusation when when it was applied to Jesus. So here, it's a sin to pervert the nation, uh, but Jesus wasn't actually doing it, but he was accused of doing it. But most of the time, the word is used to describe things that really are perverted uh, in the New Testament. In this case, the perversity was found in a lack of faith. This is in Matthew 17, 17, and then in Luke 9, 41. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Now, uh, this is right on the threshold of the Lord casting out a demon, and Jesus is saying that the inability to cast this demon out was the result of faithlessness and was the result of perversity. The perversity of unbelief doesn't have any authority over the perversity of demonic possession. 
So Jesus rebukes that kind of perverseness. In Acts 20, the Apostle Paul warns the elders of Ephesus that certain men will rise up from their own number, and in order to make the distinctions necessary to get people to follow them, will resort to perverting the truth. This is in Acts 20, verse 30. Also, Paul says this, Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. If you've got a group of people, if you've got a big group of people, and you've got some, an ambitious elder who wants to make a name for himself, he's, he's one of these, these guys at Ephesus who wants to draw people after himself, away after himself. One of the first things he's got to do is make a distinction between himself and the rest of the elders, the rest of the people in leadership. He's got to say, they teach you to do it this light blue way, but I'm teaching you to do it in this dark blue way. I'm going, they want to go left. I'm saying we need to go right and so on. In other words, they've got to bend what's going on. They've got to speak perverse things in order to make a distinction so that people will follow them. The word is translated in two different ways in the passage in Acts about Elymas the sorcerer. Uh, this is Acts 13.8, and then a few verses later in Acts 13.10. And the word here, um, diastrepho, is rendered two different ways. But Elymas the sorcerer, in verse 8, for Elymas the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. So, uh, there's the word, uh, to turn away, and it's rendered as turn away. He's, he's trying to pervert the uh, deputy from the faith. And then a few verses later, he's addressed and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? So, uh, he's rebuked for his perversion of the right way of the Lord, and earlier, uh, in verse 8, the same word is used for what he's trying to do to the, um, the Roman official. So, he's trying to turn away, pervert the deputy from, from the faith, and he's trying to pervert the ways of the Lord. And then, last, we have it used in Paul's description of his generation, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, there it is, a crooked and perverse nation nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. All right, so we are continuing on with uh, episode 193 in the podcast, right? That's what we're doing. That's where we are. You're still with me? Okay, good. Uh, So the book review here is, you know, I have no doubt. Look, this is episode 193. I may have reviewed this book before. I may have encourage you to get this book before, but this is justified. Let me tell you why. This is a book I've read a couple of times before, and I'm reading it for a third time again now. It's Idols for Destruction by Herbert Schlossberg. Idols for Destruction by Herbert Schlossberg. This is a magnificent book, a profound book, weighty book, but it's, it's not turgid. It's, there's a, there are multiple gems on every page. And he wrote it decades ago, and it is really applicable. You, you, if you want to see why our country is disintegrating around us, if you want to see why the whole thing is coming to pieces, and you want, to, you want your reading to help you understand this cultural moment, 
one of the places I would encourage I would encourage people to begin is with Idols for Destruction. So uh, I I first read it very shortly after it came out. Read it then, thought it was magnificent, and then a number of years later read it again. And then uh, I serve on the New St Andrews uh, board, and we uh, the New St Andrews uh, board of trustees meets four times a year. And one of the things the board does, and this is a thing I would commend uh, to you, is the the board is a uh, not only the board of trustees for New St Andrews College, but the board is also a book club. In between every board meeting. We read a book together, and when we come to our next board meeting, we have a dedicated period of time in the board meeting to discussion of that book. And the book this time is Idols for Destruction. So I thought, okay, I could have said, well, I've read it before. I'm I'm okay, but it's the kind of book that repays uh, return visits. So I picked it up again and have not been disappointed, and I'm really looking forward to how the men who are responsible for the vision of New St. Andrews College are encouraged and strengthened by this book. We need, we desperately need institutions that have a spine. And you're not going to have a spine unless you, unless you know what a spine is. You have to know what it looks like. You have to know what's going on. You have to know what the forces against us are. You have to identify the enemy. You have to, and this means that you have to read. So, Idols for Destruction. Uh, he, he's not talking about uh, physical carved idols that you leave baskets of fruit in front of, but rather things like idols of history, the idol of history, or the idol of humanity, or the, you know, that, that kind of uh, thing. The idol is a, I, I don't, I was about to say theological. It's not a theological construct, more like a philosophical construct or theological in this, if you allow for the existence of a, of a false god, you know, sort of dominating the, um, the system. So, Idols for Destruction. In this book, uh, Herbert Schlossberg walks us through all our basic follies. Where, where does this folly come from? Where does the statist folly come from? Where does our uh, relativism come from? How, what, why does it, why, why, why now, why here, why, why this? What, what thinkers does it come from? Uh, Schlossberg is well read. He's got, he, he can put his hands on all kinds of writers from all over the place and put it up in one significant collection. And, and here, th- think about this, Christian, think about this. So, Idols for Destruction should be part of your survival kit. Mm-hmm.